if I can set your minds at rest, that we will not be looking at the passage that was read in its completion from verse 1 to 33, but just three verses <clears throat> that are found in Lamentations chapter 3, and they are verses 22, 23, and 24. <clears throat> and they read thus, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Now, in the Lord's providence, he leads his believing children through difficult and challenging experiences in this life. You have but to look at the Bible, at some of the characters found within the Word of God, to see some examples of those who have had very difficult and challenging experiences in life and a great deal of trouble. You can think, for example, of Abraham, of Jacob, of Job, of David, of Daniel, of the Apostle Paul, and even our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, had his share of difficulties and challenges during his ministry. And you come to Jeremiah the prophet, who served the Lord from 627 to about 575 B.C., and the prophet of God, the servant of God, the one who came to God's people with a message from the Lord, was a man who faced a great deal of troubles and a great many challenges in his life. Let me just outline some of these very briefly for you, which are drawn from, the, uh, from Jeremiah's prophecy itself. And <clears throat> uh, incidentally, just reading chapter 3 of Lamentation should have given you just a taster, as it were, of the troubles that he faced. Now, Jeremiah's prophecies uh, called upon Judah to forsake sin and return to the Lord. And when Jeremiah said to the people and to the kings, thus says the Lord, his message from God was not welcomed, but often was very fiercely opposed. That is one very real challenge that he faced throughout his ministry over the years as he served God. On the other hand, when the prophet proclaimed pending judgment upon Jerusalem and Judah, when he spoke about exile finally in Babylon, he was arrested and tried, expecting that the sentence of death would be passed upon him. Later, King Zedekiah rebuked, excuse me, he, Jeremiah rebuked Zedekiah, uh, king of Judah, in chapter 37 of Jeremiah's prophecy. And for the prophet's um, rebuke, so it was that Zedekiah then caused Jeremiah to be imprisoned and finally had him put into an empty water cistern. 
and he was put into that cistern which once stored water, and at its base was just a, a, a considerable quantity of mush and mud, and he was expected to be there. Why did they put him there? Zedekiah and Jeremiah's enemies were sincerely hoping that he would succumb, he would die in there. And yet the Lord spared his servant, you see. What it, it must have been like to be in that humid and very smelly and unpleasant place, one can but imagine. But this is the kind of thing that happened to Jeremiah. And more than that, the prophet Jeremiah was in Jerusalem during the siege that the Babylonians set against the city. He was there when Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. Read Jeremiah 52 and you'll get some understanding of the conditions that were there in the city and the kind of things that Jeremiah saw himself amongst the people of Jerusalem. He witnessed the fact that there was very little food to be had in the city. It just ran out. They couldn't just go off to the nearest supermarket. There weren't any. They were sealed in the city of Jerusalem, and whatever food was stored there was soon exhausted, and they resorted to all kinds of things to try and satisfy hunger. Jeremiah witnessed the destruction of the temple after the siege ended, and he himself witnessed the inhabitants of Jerusalem being put to death on the one hand, and some of them being carried away into exile in Babylon. How do you think these kind of things struck the man? Do you think he was a happy man as he saw these things, as he witnessed God's judgment upon the people? I think it must have hurt him very deeply indeed that any that his people should have been so affected by because of their sin. <clears throat> now, when we come to Lamentations, Jeremiah writes in poetic verse about his personal grief and sorrow at the things that he had witnessed, as well as the people's reluctance <coughs> to obey the Lord and repent of their sins. He asks in chapter 1 and verse 12 of Lamentations this question. He says, Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Behold and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow which has been brought on me which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. It's a very dark picture that's painted for us in his prophecy. Very dark, very dismal. And yet, in spite of all this grief, all this trouble, there's this beam of light that shines through in the verses that I just now read to you. The very verses that we are considering. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. That's a ray of sunshine on the darkest of days. And we can thank God that he so inspired Jeremiah to write these things. He paints a very dark background, does he not? But oh, there is the light, there is the hope. And he didn't write it just for those who would read this particular portion of God's word. But his, his purpose in writing that 
was that those who read it and those who would hear it read, even you and me tonight should be encouraged because we too face dark days at times. And here is this glorious biblical ray of sunshine that comes to us, you see. Well, let's look at three things this evening. They all concern the the covenant. And the first thing I want to bring to you is covenant mercies in verse 22. The constancy of the covenant mercies in verse 23. And then the comfort of the covenant mercies. So first of all, then, the covenant mercies of verse 22. Now, you will notice that verse 22 starts this way. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. And these mercies are from the Lord, who is the covenant-keeping God. Do notice that the word Lord there is the word Jehovah. It's in capitals, and it means then that he is the covenant-keeping God. In other words, the Lord is perfectly faithful to all and in all that he has said and promised to his people. The Lord does not lie. What he has promised, he will keep. Now, we know very well that we are unable to obey the Lord's commands. We know, and I'm sure that conscience would tell us, and the Bible would tell us, that we have broken all of God's commandments, and we have broken them in the things that we think in our minds, We have broken the commandments in the things that we say and we have broken God's commands in the things even that we do. That's how it is. And while we might not murder anyone, for example, the fact is that we do harbour hate sometimes towards other people. And therein is the problem. So we have broken the Lord's commands, thought, word, and deed. But the Lord has said, This is the covenant that I will make. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Jeremiah 31, 33, most likely a familiar verse to you. We can't keep God's law, but here is this extraordinary thing that God himself says, I will write my law on your hearts. That's what I'm going to do. And you'll be my people, and I will be your God. Never keep. It's just natural in us that we should break God's commandments. But here, the Lord Jesus Christ was sinless and pure, and he did not break any of the commandments of God. And that is extraordinary. Why did he do that? He did it so that he could take our sin on himself on the cross as our substitute. He kept the law for us so that we might receive his righteousness, that we might be acceptable to God when we believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son. But it is the Lord who is merciful. And mercy may be understood as loving kindness or steadfastness. Loving kindness, steadfast love. Mercy, they all basically mean the same thing. And it is an unalterable attribute of God towards his people. God is a merciful God. 
God is characterized by loving kindness. God is characterized by his steadfast love. Now, as men and women and young people, we may choose to love or highly esteem someone, especially if they are kind to us or they reciprocate love and affection towards us. We can warm to them and they would warm to us. That's quite natural. But if anyone should often say or do something unkind to us, say something unkind, do something unkind, how do we respond to that? We usually respond by cutting ourselves off from the person, breaking down communication with them, having nothing to do with them, and even going to the, <clears throat> to the extent of despising that person and hating them. That's how we are. Is God like that? And the answer is simple. No, he is not like that. How cruelly sometimes we treat our Father in heaven. How sometimes we are not faithful to Jesus Christ as his people. And yet, the Lord still chooses to not cut us off, not despise us, and not hate us. And by the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, is what verse 22 clearly says to us. If the Lord has made you the object of his loving kindness, if he has brought you to faith through Jesus Christ, he cannot cease to love you. He's loved you with an everlasting love and he will work to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ. It is certain that if we do err and sin as God's people, that there is that discipline that he will bring to bear on your life and mine. Discipline and correction intend us to, intended to bring us back to where we should be spiritually. And in all of this, as we think of God's mercies, Micah 7 and verse 18 comes to mind that the Lord delights in mercy. He delights in doing those very things that that show and clearly demonstrate that he is a God of mercy. But then, in verse 22, <clears throat> through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. We are not consumed. And that word consumed means that his mercies have no end. It's a perfect tense, so it means that his mercies are in a state of um, perfection, as it were. Uh, and his mercies are certain, they are guaranteed, you see. And his mercies toward Jeremiah and towards you as a child of God means this, that they cannot end. They cannot end. Now... Uh, as you'll be well aware, I, 
I, I, I was once the pastor of the St. Helena <coughs> Baptist Church on St. Helena, and we lived in the capital city. It sounds very interesting, but it's a very small community of about 2,000 people, more or less. And the water supply in um, Jamestown, the capital city, was a spring that had the name Chubb's Spring. It was set probably about half a mile up the valley where <coughs> Jamestown was situated. And in the long history of the island that extended over 500 years, it was unknown for that spring's water ever to fail. So not even in the worst droughts that struck the island, the spring still produced excellent water. And when it was that water was taken and used up, well, the spring did not cease to produce water, even in high demands. That's how the mercies of God are. Inexhaustible. They don't cease. They don't come to an end. As long as you live as a child of God in this world, his mercies toward you do not, do not come to an end. They keep on. And if we could but grasp that, we would have comfort like Jeremiah had, that when everything in life seems to go wrong, there is the certainty of God's unending mercies. <clears throat> but furthermore, we're also told in verse 22 about God's compassions. <clears throat> and the Lord's compassions also fail not. Now Jesus said in the parable of the lost son that the father arose, and, or at least that the prodigal son arose and came to his father, and when he, the prodigal son, was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So says Luke chapter 15 and verse 20. <clears throat> What's the point of this? The father every day yearned that his erring son should make his way back home again, that his wayward son would return home. And on that day, the father recognized his son from afar off. And what did the father do? He ran to meet his son. The father didn't think to himself, oh, my son, he's such a wastrel. Uh, why on earth is he coming home again? To get another handout? Oh, he's not welcome in my home. No. The father in that parable showed compassion. He welcomed his erring son, received him back into the family, you see. And that's a picture of God's compassion towards Jeremiah, towards God's people, even when they went into exile, into you and me and all that we will face as the children of God. In the parable, the father's longing eyes recognized his son, and compassion was translated into action by the father running to meet and embrace his erring son. And it's no different with the Lord, uh, how faithful he is, uh, how compassionate he is. In 1 Kings chapter 17, and we learn there about <coughs> um, 
a widow and her son. And it was a time of great famine in the northern kingdom. And this widow's supply of flour and oil was finished. There was a little handful of flour left in a jar and a small little quantity of oil with which she had to cook a final piece of bread and then eat it and by her own admission die. There was no food to be had anywhere. Such was the severity of the drought. It was severe indeed. And where is the compassion of God in that? Listen to the testimony of Scripture through the Elijah the prophet. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry. Don't you see? Here's this woman who was instructed by Elijah. Take your flour and your oil and and bake me a little piece of bread. He said, I can't do it. He says, do it. And you'll see what happens. And she took him at his word and baked the bread. And for as long as that drought lasted, the jar of flour was full. And there was oil enough. In other words, she never hungered again. That's God's compassion to a poor widow and her son. Is God any different with you and me when we face such trials? He stays right with us. He shows compassion. Now, in our English Bibles, we can't grasp fully what Jeremiah was saying in the Hebrew language. He uses two conjunctions. Conjunctions join um, let uh, join a sentence together. But these two conjunctions are exactly the same, and it makes them therefore very strong in meaning in verse 22. And what are those, those words? What are those conjunctions? It's the word surely. Now, it's not well conveyed in our English Bibles, but it appears twice in the Hebrew. So... How can we read that verse with better sense? We could say thus, the steadfast love of the Lord surely never ends. Surely his compassions never cease. It's absolutely guaranteed. So the Lord's mercies and compassions towards every believer and towards you and me who are in Christ Jesus can never cease, never fail, never come to an end. And in all that you and I face and endure as followers of Jesus Christ, I want you to remember that God's compassions and God's mercies never, never come to an end. He'll keep you. He'll sustain you. But in the second place, I want for us to look at the constancy of covenant mercy, the constancy of covenant mercy. You have that in verse 23. 
So God's mercies and compassions, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The constancy of covenant mercies. Now, the faithfulness of God is linked to his mercy and his compassion. And we understand faithfulness to be or to mean being reliable or being trustworthy. That's how we would understand faithfulness to be. Surely that is absolutely true of the Lord. You can trust him. You can rely upon him. You can trust him because he is trustworthy. Now, Jesus spoke to Peter prior to the crucifixion, and the words must have rocked Simon as he heard them must have surprised him deeply and caused him to wonder why is the Lord saying this to me but in Luke 22 31 and 32 Jesus speaks to Simon Peter and says Simon Simon indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail and when you have returned to me strengthen your brethren. Now we know that Simon Peter denied the Lord and after Jesus looked at him across that crowded auditorium after he had denied Christ three times briefly there was eye contact. What did Simon Peter do? He wept. The tears coursed down his face he had denied the Lord exactly as Jesus said he would, he would do. But there was a difference. Those were not crocodile tears. They were not the kind of tears that Judas Iscariot may have had. Here was a man sorrowing for his sin. He had failed the Lord, you see. Do you remember, do you remember what Judas did? when he felt the guilt of what he'd done to Christ by betraying him, he eventually went out and hanged himself. Peter failed Christ. Did Peter go out and hang himself in remorse? No, of course not. But this is what the scripture tells us in the Gospels. He remained with the disciples in the lodgings that they had, When the Lord appeared to the disciples, Peter was there, and Peter saw him. He was one of those who went to the tomb to see that the tomb was empty and Christ was not there, but that he was risen. And then you come to John chapter 21, where the Lord met with Peter and restored him to the role of feeding and tending his sheep, caring for the church. What does it tell us? It tells us that Jesus was faithful towards his faithless disciple. Let me repeat that. Jesus was faithful towards his faithless disciple. To Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13 tells us, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Christ does not fail. He doesn't abandon 
his people for whom he died. He brings you to faith. He keeps you. You are the work of his, of his hands, as it were, by his redemptive work. And he will keep you. Isn't that a source of great encouragement? Do you remember, as we would think about new every morning in verse 23, do you remember the manner that the Lord provided for Israel in the wilderness? The Lord provided this most unusual food for 40 long years, and it was there every day to be gathered up and uh, consumed and used for various types of cooking. And every single day, there was the manna on the ground. And all the people had to do was to go out and gather it up. And they did it six days a week. On the Sabbath day, they didn't gather the manna. What's that telling us? That the people who had no food, as it were, in the wilderness, had food provided every day for them. Every single day. Knew every morning there was a fresh supply of manna. And it did not cease for 40 years. The Lord faithfully, faithfully provided for his people's need. It means, therefore, that you can place your trust in your Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will not fail you. His mercies, his compassions, his faithfulness are new every morning. They are fresh and they are new. They are sufficient for each day. Indeed, even for today. And for that reason, Jeremiah could say with conviction, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Now, as we age, we experience the troubles of this life in whatever form they should come to us. Um, it is often health issues. <clears throat> It can be loss of employment and perhaps disappointments. Those are the kind of things that come to every Christian man or woman. And they come. And the troubles that we face may indeed vary, but that's just a sample of the kind of things that come to us, to you and me. And these things may weigh very heavily on your mind and mine. When you perhaps have a son or daughter and they're struggling, or perhaps they're wayward, or they've been raised in the church and you've exposed them to every Christian influence, read the Bible and prayed for them, and yet it seems like water in a duck's back. They go their own way. A Christian parent, keep on praying for them. Keep on. Don't give up. You do not know how God can work. Keep trusting. And you may be very surprised. So, troubles may weigh very heavily upon your mind and mine. But the Lord gives us grace and strength for every day. Now, just as it can be a miserable day, cloudy and rainy, and perhaps today is a good example of that kind of day I'm trying to describe to you. And it may even dampen our spirits. But you know what? Today the sun has shined in all its brilliance 
above the clouds. It's there and it hasn't ceased shining. It's hidden, you see. And my dear friends, that's how God's mercies and compassions and his steadfast love is towards you and me. They don't dry up. Whatever situation that you may face, however dire it might be, the Lord is still with you, with me. But why was Jeremiah so delighted in these, by these truths? And here's perhaps something to think about. Jeremiah writes these, verse, these verses in chapter 3, inspiring, comforting verses. He was still alive. He was still Jeremiah the prophet. He was still God's servant. He was still breathing. He was still serving God in whatever manner it was. He was still alive. So what did it mean? God has been trustworthy. I've trusted him. I've depended upon him. And the Lord is merciful and compassionate. And then you think about Israel, at least Judah, the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Besieged by the Babylonians, the city destroyed, many people put to the, put to the sword and killed, and carried off into exile in Babylon, separated from Jerusalem. But some of God's people were still alive. The remnant was still there. God was still caring from, for them. God's promises to Jeremiah and to the faithful amongst Judah was still the same. He had not turned his back upon them. They were alive, and therefore there was hope for them. The Lord had not abandoned them. He remained faithful, merciful, and compassionate. It's the same for you, the same for me. But then in the third place, <clears throat> we look at the comfort of covenant mercies in verse 24. The comfort of covenant mercies. It reads thus, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. Now, on entering Canaan, the Israelites were allocated territory in which to settle, and thus homes and lands would become the possession or the portion of each family unit. And therefore a man could say to his neighbour or to his wife, this is my field of wheat. And perhaps the young child of the family could also say, I'm going to my home, I'm going to my home. You see, God gave them homes and property, land in Canaan. That was his gift to his people. That was their portion or inheritance, if you like. But it was quite different for the priests and for the Levites. That's Aaron's descendants. Quite different. And this is what we discover in Numbers chapter 18 and verse 20. The Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, as <coughs> Canaan, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance. I am your portion. Spiritual. You're in my service. 
and you are serving me. In Psalm 73 and verses 25 and 26, these words are are recorded for us. The psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion or my possession forever. And Jeremiah declares that the Lord... The covenant-keeping God was his God, his portion. And therefore he can say emphatically, I say the Lord is my portion, therefore I hope in him. He's speaking with confidence, with assurance. The Lord is my portion, therefore I hope in him. Why was this, this a comfort to Jeremiah? And why should it be a comfort to you, child of God? The commentator Matthew Henry has this comment in Lamentations 3 and these verses. When I have lost all I have in the world, liberty and livelihood and almost life itself, yet I have not lost my interest in God. And while I have an interest in God, therein is enough. I have that which is sufficient to counterbalance all my troubles and make up all my losses. He understood. And this is exactly what Jeremiah understood. God is faithful. And it doesn't matter what I have to face. What is taken away from me. I have the Lord. He is my portion. He will never abandon me. He cannot turn his back upon me. He will be faithful to me. And so we persevere in hope and patience. We have received God as our portion. And we are satisfied with him alone and seek nothing else besides him. The question I ask you this evening as a congregation is the Lord Jesus Christ your portion is he your possession do you know him as your saviour have you trusted in him take heart take heart because Christ can forgive your sin and save you what a blessing it is to know and to trust the God of Jeremiah. In all the trouble that he endured, the Lord remained with him and never turned his back on him, never abandoned him. We can trust the Lord. Like Jeremiah, can we not say tonight with certainty, great is your faithfulness. O Lord, great is your faithfulness. Well, may the Lord apply his word to our hearts and encourage us and help us through it all.